to, to bring us the word, to tell us about his ministry, and he and his wife have been guests of ours, uh, our first guests that we've been able to have in home since COVID, and all of that happened, and it's, it's been fun for us. I don't know if it's fun for them, but it's been fun for us, and get to know uh, Esther and, and Randy and their little one, and they have more little ones, and perhaps they'll tell you a little bit about that as we get going tonight, but brother, I'm praying for you. don't even know where to start exactly, um, but my name is Randy Brown, my wife Esther, and we're partnered with Beacon, which is uh, the same board that the LaBelles are with, and uh, we were there shortly after he was out of the hospital, right around when he was coming out last October, and uh, we were praying for them. Didn't get to see Miss Kelly at that time, but we were praying for y'all, and um, God has called us to go to the nation of Japan. And it is a, a very needy country. Uh, Miss Marie, do you have the video ready to go? Is she up there or is it somebody else tonight? Okay, I see a thumbs up. So we'll play the video and then I'll talk a little bit more about Japan. And then uh, we'll get into the preaching tonight. Imagine that you have been raised in a society where you have to excel in every way. You have to be successful in academics, in business, and in every personal interaction. You have to be absolutely perfect. In a country obsessed with perfection, where does this leave those who fail? Failure in Japan leaves you with no path to redemption. You have shamed your parents, your ancestors, your nation, and your gods. You have no hope. Too many Japanese turn to historically accepted suicide. Three Japanese commit suicide every hour. 25,000 people per year. Then there are many who aren't willing to commit suicide and choose a path of hakikomori. It is those who lock themselves in their bedrooms for 10, 20, or even 30 plus years. They have no hope, so they put pause on their life. This hopelessness doesn't just impact the minority. Loneliness and depression is a constant fact of life for the Japanese people. Families are breaking down. Fathers are absent. Some working so much, they see their family for less than an hour a week. 80% of Japanese wonder why they even exist. 10% wish they had never been born. Japan is a beautiful place filled with wonderful people. But it's like the whited sepulcher. It's beautiful on the outside and dead on the inside. God has entrusted us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has called my wife Esther and I to go to the nation of Japan, to Okayama Prefecture, to plant a church there in His name. I would ask you to join us in prayer for the Japanese people. The Japanese youth of today are six times more likely than the older generations to identify as Christians. The door is open in a way that we haven't seen since the end of World War II. There are 125 million Japanese. They are the largest unreached people group in the developed world. Pray for laborers for the field. 
there is one missionary for every 56,000 Japanese. The harvest is plenteous. The laborers are few. Our plan is to be in Japan by the end of 2024. Pray that the gospel has free reign, that the people of Japan see their need for Jesus Christ, that his name would be glorified, that indigenous churches would be planted, and that the Japanese people would find hope in their creator, Jesus Christ. If you were to look at the Japanese people, you might not even necessarily see that. Because on the outside, they put on that front that everything is just fine. Because they're told from when they're a child that what's inside your heart, good or bad, does not matter. That you as an individual, you don't matter. Your value is only what you contribute to society no further. And so the Japanese people are pushed and pushed, believing that no one actually cares about them. And America has done a great job getting the culture of America to Japan. They celebrate Christmas, they celebrate Easter. In fact, I just saw they're starting to celebrate Halloween. That's just in the last couple of years. But the one thing that we have that is of any value at all is this right here. And the Japanese people, we had an opportunity after World War II when MacArthur was calling for missionaries. And while many did answer that call and they worked and they didn't necessarily see the fruit as man sees fruit, not enough went. And God seems to be giving us a second opportunity that we can go the youth that is from 1% to 6% in one generation. That's a big jump. Their hearts are open, and I could go into all the different reasons, uh, because their society has said to an entire generation of Japanese that we don't want you. They call them the lost generation. And they're seeking outside of Japan for the first time in over 50 years because their society has left them with nothing, without hope. And our goal is to get to Japan. Uh, the video said by the end of 2024, God has us on track for the end of 2023, finishing up deputation. And we're praying about serving with a national pastor. We actually, our first trip to Japan is coming up at the end of November. They just opened up last week on the 11th um, for tourism. And so we're going to be going there and meeting with the national pastor and seeing if that's the Lord's will to go serve with him. And we would spend about five years with him while we're learning the language and learning the culture and how to minister to their needs and to present them the gospel. And from there, we'll be going to Okayama to bring them the same hope that we have, to give them Jesus Christ, that they can know that they don't have to go, and you could look it up, the suicide forest and all the different ways that they'll try to end their life that they can know there's someone that loves them. And doesn't say, kill yourself for me, like their gods will say. They're false gods. But says, I died for you. And I love you as an individual. 
That's our heart for the Japanese, that they can sing his praises. And tonight, Brother LaBelle, you actually, the Lord told me to preach something different than what I was planning. Sorry, Miss Marie, because I gave her a lot of verses to go to, so I don't even need this right now. We're going to go to the shortest verse in the Bible. Can anybody quote that to me? Jesus wept. If you've ever spent any time in junior church or with kids, you know that verse is quite often brought up almost as kind of a joke. Hey kids, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? And yet... Those two words are some of the most powerful words in all of Scripture. When you look at the context of why was Jesus weeping, Brother LaBelle, you actually mentioned it when Miss Kelly was talking. God said, go to Jesus wept, and then you started mentioning Lazarus and all that. It's like, okay, Lord. But when you look at this passage in its context, starting in uh, John chapter 11, verse 1, It says, Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary, or excuse me, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard therefore that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that saith he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. We see here the situation that Lazarus was ill, and for all intents and purposes, what Mary and Martha are doing, they're calling 911. They're going to the one source that they knew could bring help for their brother. And can I tell you, if you dial 911 today, what is your expectation? And how soon? Now. Exactly. You dial 911, there's the expectation that someone is available, Lord willing, and is going to drop what they're doing and come in an ambulance to help you, aren't they? Now imagine if you dialed 911 and then four days later. What's the emergency? Well, you're a little bit late, aren't you? Y'all ever heard that song, When He's Four Days Late? He's Still on Time? Jesus is intentionally allowing Mary and Martha to see their brother die. And it says there, it's for a very specific purpose, isn't it? It's for the glory of God. And he goes on and he'll also explain it's also for the disciples that they'll get to see it. It's for those around. But it's that God would be glorified. And if you're in here and you've ever lost a family member, I think you'll understand the next words I'm going to say is the hardest time is right after it happens, isn't it? Those first few days. My wife lost her dad a few years ago. And uh, we didn't have that typical 
you know, son-in-law, father-in-law relationship, the in-laws. I was very close to my father-in-law. My, my wife, um, she's four of 13, and all of her siblings joked that she was the favorite. And it's because she was the closest one. She would take the time to go out to lunch with him, and she was very close to her father. And when he passed away, that was hard. The tears, the weeping, and the pain. It's kind of not something, unless you've been through it, it's kind of hard to explain it, isn't it? Exactly how that feels. And Jesus is intentionally allowing Mary and Martha to go through that. Now, he knows that he's going to be bringing healing. He knows that he's going to be bringing peace and joy. But he's allowing pain, isn't he? And it goes on, and then he says, so he says he's going to go down there. And the disciples go with him. And then let's go down to verse 17. It says, Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about fifteen furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother, And you have to imagine, and we'll see by some of their comments, that they're wondering, where were you, Lord? All these other people seem to be coming and comforting us, but where's God? It says, Then Mary, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. That's a true statement. Now, in fact, she's actually diminishing what God is able to do because we see in other instances where he just spoke the word and from miles and miles away, someone was healed miraculously the very instant he spoke the word. But from her perspective, think of how many people she probably witnessed Jesus heal. People with physical deformities, people with blindness and deaf and mute, people that were lepers. She knew he had the power to bring healing. And she's telling him, if you had been here, he wouldn't die. Her heart's broken, isn't it? And we see a response here, and we'll see the same response Jesus gives to uh, Mary and Martha. He doesn't condemn them for their pain. She goes on there in verse 22 and says, But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. That truth right there is the reason any of us have life. Because like Brother John said, what was the greatest miracle in your life, Brother John? It was getting saved. If you look in Luke 22, uh, 47 or 48, he says, ye are witnesses of these things. And he's talking about the working of God. You know what he's talking about? 
if you've been saved, you've witnessed a miracle of God in your life. And that's based on the truth of who Jesus is. Because nothing less than God, very God, coming down, becoming 100% man, 100% God, and taking our sins and dying on a cross, nothing less than that could save your soul. Because I know we often look at it and we say, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. But God is big enough that it's individuals. And can I tell you, the death of Jesus Christ, while His death was big enough to cover the sins of the entire world, the price for one soul was nothing less. The price for one soul is God, very God, dying on a cross. And if you were the only sinner that had ever sinned, that's what it would take to pay for your sins. And that's the truth that our life is built on. That Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of God. He is God. And He died on that cross in our place. And He loves us. And she goes, it says there in verse 28, And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, The Master has come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then which were with her in the house and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Then Jesus, therefore, saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. You don't see Jesus looking at Mary and Martha and seeing their pain and saying, I'm bringing healing. Why do you have this lack of faith? He had every right to confront them for their lack of faith. Yet He doesn't do that. He looks at the pain and in His love, He weeps. When you look all around this world, you'll see false gods from Muhammad and Allah, Buddha, the Hindu gods, the Confucian religion, Shinto in Japan. But you can look at all the religions of this world and all they do is take. Look at the Greek pantheon. Many of you ever looked at those like Zeus? Do you know what the Greek gods did to the, to the Greeks? When they were suffering, the Greek gods laughed. They thought it was amusing to watch the struggles of the people on this earth. Now obviously these are gods that aren't gods. But the world's idea of gods, which is really just a reflection of Satan's character and his hate, looks at us 
and says, I want everything from you. I don't care about your pain. Gimme, 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 and I'm going to laugh when you're hurting. That is the world. Yet here, we see the very heart of God revealed for each and every one of us. Have you had those times where you feel like God's not nearby? I have. And you see the pain of this world. And yet, what do we see from Jesus here? He's not distant. He's not like the false gods of this world laughing at our pain. And He's not even justly confronting them for their lack of faith. He's looking at them like when you two were going through that. And He's weeping. He's right here. He's near. No matter what we're going through, what pain we're going through. And when you look around the world, you see individuals that are hurting. You see individuals that Jesus died for, that Jesus loved. Because just like Jesus was there for Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and we see in the next passage, we won't go there for time, but we see in the next passage that Jesus raises him from the dead. He brings life where there was death. Every single person on this planet, Jesus is right there next to them, seeking how He can bring them to salvation. He's not forcing Himself on anyone, but He's not distant from the pain of our world. When you look back on world history, it's ugly. It's death and destruction from Adam and Eve on. And He let it happen. And He let it happen because of His love. And we see there's two responses that come out of this. It says in verse 45, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on Him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. You have one group that said, and they saw the pain and they saw the suffering, and then they saw God move and bring healing and bring life and wipe away the tears, and they, they believed. And then you had another group there in verse 46 where they saw the exact same thing and they hardened their heart Boy, you're good at that. They hardened their heart and they went and told the Pharisees. And that really is one of the times where they really start to go after Jesus. I've got two examples. One is very, very personal to me. And I wish it was the good example. And the other is I was telling a testimony about my brother and afterwards a lady came up in the church and told me about her husband and she said I could share share this story this contrast my brother was a a navy corpsman if you're not familiar with what a navy corpsman is but basically they are the medics for the navy and for the marine corps 
and he was stationed in Afghanistan, attached to a Marine platoon in Helmand province in one of the ugliest combat zones that Afghanistan has seen. And I got to visit my brother last November, so it's coming up on a year. He's in Hawaii right now. Over the summer, he had told me that he was suicidal. He just had seen so many horrible things over in the war, and he was going through a rough spell. And another brother invited him to Hawaii. He said, don't kill yourself, restart over here. And so I got to go visit him, and I wanted to witness to my brother, but he didn't give me the chance. He's heard it from me before. And so we sit and we talk for a little while. And then I get a message later, and he said, keep the gospel away from me. I want nothing to do with the gospel because I don't think God really loves us. The things I've seen, and he's seen some horrible things. He'd seen children die. He'd had friends that he's trying to save die in his hands. That's real. Our world is ugly. And there's pain everywhere. And my brother saw it firsthand. And his response to it was, I don't think God could love us. And he actually told me that. He said, I don't think, and he, on more than one occasion, but he said, I don't think that a God that could allow the things that I have personally seen actually love us. He said, I believe God exists, but I don't think he loves us. And I told that testimony, and this lady came up, and she told me about her husband, who was a Navy corpsman, who was stationed in, in, in Iraq. And he fought in the battle at Basra. And when he came home from deployment, when you turn in your gear in the military, if you're missing something, you get to pay for it. And so when he's there, she's there with him while he's turning in his gear, and they marked down that there was a rain poncho missing. And it was going to be $125, she said. And that was groceries for that week. And she started to get upset. Because, hey, he's a soldier. Why are you charging him this? That's groceries for this week. And he's had to calm her down and take her outside and said, Honey, I don't care about the poncho. I used it to bury an infant. And he was hard at God for a while. And he went back to Iraq. And a mortar shell landed at his feet and didn't go off. And God used that to get a hold of his heart and say, Look, I know the horrible things you've seen, but I love you. And he bowed on his knees right there on the battlefield and got saved. And I could, actually, I could pull it up on my phone and show you who it is. I'm not going to for his privacy. He's down in uh, San Antonio, Texas, attending church seeing the same things that my brother saw. And he had a choice, just like my brother had a choice. He could trust that God actually does love him. And he did and got, a, got saved. Or you have the choice to reject. And each and every one of us have that choice, don't we? And God has given us the gospel because God has allowed... All the wickedness of this world for His glory and for us. Because you know what He could have done when Adam and Eve sinned and He would have been just 
He could have ended their lives right there. And none of the other sins that have ever happened would have happened. And yet Jesus was looking ahead and he saw Randy Brown. And he saw Brother LaBelle and Miss Kelly. And he saw Brother Chad. And he saw Pastor Bill. And we could go around the room, couldn't we? He saw us. And he allowed the ugliness of this world so that we could get saved. It was because of his love, Brother John, Miss Kelly, that he allowed you to go through that. Do you know how much of an encouragement what you went through is to other people? I've gotten to mention you guys to other people, and God is still moving. There's a missionary with our board who, it's just over a year now, isn't it? Who is in death's door, and now he's going back to Africa. You've been once already, and going back again in January to bring the gospel to the people of Sierra Leone because the people of Sierra Leone, guess where God is? He's right there seeking them. The people of Japan that have no hope, that think there's not a God in heaven that loves them, guess where God is? Right there next to Him. And God has a plan because He paid the price for us. He wants us to get involved with missions. Now the sermon I was going to preach tonight, um, it's out of Haggai. And it was titled, Go Up to the Mountain and Get Wood and Build. Jesus wept gives us the motivation. That is God's heart for people all over this planet, just like it was for us. And do you know how simple it is for us to get involved in the work of missions? Just start getting involved. Go up to the mountain, and read Haggai, you'll see it. These are the people of God that have gotten cold to God. And they're the ones that want to serve God. Guess what? This is a a Friday night crowd at a missions conference. Probably 99% of you would say, I want to serve God with my life. I want to do God's will in my life. And yet how easy it is for us to lose sight of God's heart, not just for us, but for others. What is your involvement? Go up to the mountain, get wood, get involved. And can I tell you, just for time's sake, because I could keep going, But if you go up to Pastor Bill, and I think I'm going to be accurate in this statement, and you say, Pastor, I haven't been involved, where can I start? Would you have suggestions for him? I want to challenge you with two things, and then we'll close. Two ways that you could carry out the Great Commission this week. How many of you know someone that's unsaved? 
How many of you have seen someone unsaved this week? Go talk to them. Tell them about the God who loves them and is right next to them. Put a tract in their hand if you don't know how to put the words together. That, that reaches the unsaved. And there's another part of the Great Commission, discipling. Can I challenge you? If you're not an encourager, if you don't reach out to others in your church, why don't you pick someone else in this room tonight and say, I'm going to do something nice for them. I'm going to love that person. And pick someone you don't talk to very often. Two very simple things that you could do this week. Every one of us could. Give someone a tract, tell them the gospel, and love someone else in your church. You just even have to say a kind word to them. Show them the love that Jesus showed you. Do you have God's heart for you, for other people? Do you want to get involved, or do you want to sit on the sidelines? Pastor. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for just a moment? We've heard about the great work that God has done tonight in Brother LaBelle's life. And on this end, on this end, we can see how God used it for his own glory and for their good. But nobody in the midst of it can say, I see how this all works out. Everything's just fine. No, it takes great faith to trust that we don't know how it works out, but it will work out. It will work together for good. Maybe you're here tonight and you're going through some sort of suffering and you didn't ask for it and it's not your fault and you did what you could, but it still hurts. It still hurts. I want you to know that we have the promise of God on it that it is not in vain. He wastes nothing. Maybe it's hard to believe that. And tonight, in this time of invitation, you're going to say, I need faith to believe that. I need faith to believe that what I'm going through is not an accident, is not for nothing, is not because God is deaf to my, my pleas. You say, that's me, Lord helping me. I need faith to believe that God is going to use this whatever this might be for you. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, I just want to pray for you. Would you slip your hand up and just put it right back down? I need faith. I need strength to believe that what I'm going through is, is for good. Amen. I see your hands. The Lord sees your hands. I believe it. But I need faith to believe. Like the man who spoke to Jesus, I believe, Lord, but help thou mine unbelief. Maybe you're here tonight and... God has seemed cold and distant. He hasn't seemed like the Savior that wept. Do you know that though you're going through hardship, Jesus isn't sitting there clinically, sterilely, distantly saying, don't worry, it'll work out in the end. No, he wept at the, the grief that was caused. 
by what was the necessary work of God? Do you know that he, he knows your pain? Does Jesus care? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. Maybe you need help tonight realizing that God loves you. He hasn't abandoned you. Would you just slip your hand up and say, I need, I need a fresh perspective on this. Lord, help me. Anybody like that? I need to believe it. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? I need, I need perspective. Amen. Thank you. Put your hands down. The Lord sees it. I would imagine that most people in a mission conference on a Friday night know the Lord is Savior, but if you have any doubt about your salvation, if this is just something you do, if church is just an activity and there's no reality behind it, and you want a true relationship with God, you want to hear from God and you want to know God and you want to be drawn close to Him, tonight's the night to get that settled, friend. Everyone here would rejoice in it. You say, people will think I'm already saved if I come forward and I'll be so embarrassed. No, no, we would rejoice along with all of heaven. In just a moment, we'll stand and sing, and I'll be down here at the head of this aisle to slip out of your seat and say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm saved. Others will be coming as well to use this altar as a place of prayer. But if that's you, get that settled tonight, would you? Get that settled tonight. Whatever it is that the Lord has spoken to you about, maybe there's someone that you know and you love, and they're going through such suffering, and like our dear brother's actual brother, They've turned away from God because of their suffering and you want to bring their name before the Lord to ask God to wake them up. Like we heard the testimony of the other corpsman and God woke him up and today he's in church and serving the Lord and you want, to, you want to bring that person before God and say they're hurting so bad, Lord, open their eyes. Whatever it is that God has spoken to you about, let's say yes to him. Father, we take this time of invitation and we give it to you where only you can work in hearts. I pray that you would. Help us to say yes to you, to yield to the drawing of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Spoiler alert, yes, Jesus cares. Oh, look at that. Man, she's good. Let's sing that together. Does Jesus care when my heart is pain too deeply for mercy?
Father, we thank you that we have a Savior that cares. We thank you that you know and that you have experienced this grief and you've been tempted in all points as we, but without sin. Father, be so near to us, to those that raise their hands that are hurting, to those that are experiencing such turmoil that their vision of you has been clouded and and shaded. I pray that they would see your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Thank you, brother, for bringing us the word and for your testimony tonight. What a blessing. Looking forward to you bringing us the word later on in the conference. And thank you again for being faithful to the Lord's house. It's a Friday night, and you you could have been doing anything tonight, but you chose to be here in the house of the Lord. And if you wish that you were here, but you can't be here, and you chose to, to join online, wonderful. We praise God for that. You could have switched over and watched a movie during this time, but you decided to tune in, to do the best you could to be with God and his people, and we appreciate that so very much. Tomorrow night at 5 p.m., we have a service project that we're going to be engaging in. We're going to be doing a few things for the, uh, the homeless in our community, some other uh, outreach projects to get ready for gospel literature and things like that to go out. We'll be, uh, we'll be having a meal together, and it will be relatively simple because the focus is not so much on us feasting tomorrow night, but on us serving. And so I love that. And so I want to welcome you to be a part of it. Do they need to sign up or let us know? Or No? Okay, perfect. So that's going to be tomorrow at 5. And then probably by 6.15 or 6.30-ish, definitely by 6.30, we'll meet in here. The project and the meal will be done. We'll have a time of of preaching and singing, and it'll be another full service. And so if you're wondering, you're online because you can't be here in person, and you're wondering, what time should I tune in? I would say 6.15 to be safe. 6.15 to be safe. And uh, if you say, I can't make it to the other part of it, but I'd like to be here for the service, uh, try and be here around 6.15, and that'll work out well. Also, Sunday, we'll be gathering together. uh, Adults, combined Sunday school, we'll be here together. Children, we'll still have Sunday school classes, but in junior church, we'll have a missionary with you. And of course, we'll have a missionary in our main service. And then don't don't quit before it's over. Sunday night, 6 p.m., we'll we'll have our concluding service. And, you know, Mission Conference is not the end. Mission Conference is another step forward in the work of God in our hearts and, Lord willing, in the life and ministry of our church. And so this is a launching point. This is, it's like a birthday, right? A birthday isn't an end. It is a, another year around to celebrate and to move forward. And so we just we take this time to remember and to emphasize it. I'd like to invite at this time our missionary guests to head back to their display tables, if they don't mind, so that our folks can see you on the way out. And if you have not yet gotten a prayer card, I want to encourage you to do that and get a chance to say hello. And if you have questions, I know some of the young people have booklets and they need stamps or stickers. uh, So this is a great opportunity for you to do that as well. Yes, Pastor Steve. All right, yes, so if you want, if you have not yet spent any time with uh, Brother Karecki and his wife and kids, uh, go say hello to them tonight. They'll be departing, and then Brother Luke as well. And so, yes. All right, how many of you are, are, are able to move a folding chair? You think you could. You might be able to move a folding chair, right? 
Okay, okay, some of you, you're being put to shame by kids that are three. I'm just letting you know, they raise their hand. But if you could help us, we're going to be setting up some chairs and some tables and moving things around to get the fellowship hall ready. And so if you can give us some time right following the service, Brother Steve will be over there giving directions. And so you come and you help us. And uh, some of you ladies, I know that you can, you can put us to shame with your ability to work. So, so don't, don't give up. If you're not there to give the men direction, who knows what will happen, right? So do what you can to help us. And uh, say hi to the missionaries on your way back there. Let's stand for our closing prayer tonight. Continue to pray for one another. How many of you had something unusual happen, either just before or during this conference? Something unusual happened to you. Something that maybe was annoying or obnoxious or frustrating or stressful. Anybody? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. You know who that is, don't you? That is the devil trying to rob you of the blessing of being in God's house, hearing God's servants bring his word. That's who that is. Don't let him win. Be back tomorrow. Be back Sunday. Do all you can. Do all you can. Praise God. Uh, Brother Sean, Sheridan, would you close us in prayer?